Progression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Gavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of MotorsportsAnalytics.com. On this episode, what's wrong? It's a simple question with some complicated answers, but we've got you covered in the Cup and Xfinity series on some drivers who are struggling mightily this season, and the preview you need for this weekend's triple header in Dover. But first, we always start off with a little fun. This is episode 15. This is the Michael Waltrip edition of Positive Regression, David. David, I think of that 15 DEI car, that beautiful Napa paint scheme from the early 2000s. And you know, I, I just think of some of those wins Michael Waltrip had, obviously the Daytona 500s, unfortunately, also associated with some of the darkest moments in the sports history. But you know, we can try to keep it positive here. What do you think of when you think of that 15 car and that scheme and just that DEI organization. I think of how symbolic that 15 car was to Michael's career because Michael Waldrop came of age in a time when young drivers just did not get opportunities and good equipment. Uh, between that and his affinity for the drafting tracks of Daytona and Talladega, you can consider him a a poor man's version, a very poor man's version of Sterling Marlin. When Waldrop earned what I would call his first worthwhile ride in 2001, uh, that 15 car with DEI, it came into his age 38 season. He won that first time out in the 01 Daytona 500. Uh, after that, obviously, it was a very tough year for DEI as a whole, but performance-wise, it was all uphill for Waldrop for the rest of that year. He scored a negative production rating. But then some interesting things happened. In 2002, he was better, a peer of 1.056, a rating better than that of a 38-year-old Bobby Labonte and a 32-year-old Greg Biffle, among others. In 2003, he popped off the spreadsheet. He won twice in that number 15 car. He scored a 1.611 peer that ranked better than the average 40-year-old. It ranked 10th overall in the Cup Series, ahead of the likes of Bobby Labonte, Jeff Burton, and Ricky Craven. So that means bragging rights over his fellow television analysts. Uh, it also ranked ahead of notables Elliot Sadler, Jeremy Mayfield, and Greg Biffle again, uh, regardless of what you think of him as a television personality, I think most TV personalities nowadays are uh, tend to be polarizing, but his time driving for DEI was interesting. It was never linear in any direction, but probably better than most people remembered. And isn't it interesting that one of his best years of his career came when he was what age, David? 39. 39 and heading into 39 his going on 40. Yeah. And, and it was, it was him and, and, and his brother Daryl always said that Michael was a, a late bloomer. And that does tend to pan out, uh, when you're looking at his production rating. He got some really good work done in a time when it really wasn't expected of him. And there were a lot of questions surrounding the future of that organization some pretty intriguing stuff from Michael Waldrop towards the end of his career. All right. Good talk about uh, Mikey Waltrip, who celebrated a birthday this week. So happy birthday to my Fox teammate. But uh, this week's positive regression. First topic, we are talking, David, a simple, simple question. What's wrong? It's an easy question to ask, but not always an easy one to answer. 
and what we're talking about are some teams and drivers that just seem to be struggling in the early part of this season. And it's often hard to point at one thing when looking at a struggle or to, to solve a certain problem. But David, we can take a closer look at what some data tells us. And we're going to start with maybe the biggest surprise of the cup season. Kyle Larson, Kyle Larson right now struggling in the cup series, 21st in points. I think three of his last four races have ended in crashes, including Talladega, uh, making it right to the end before flipping a, a bunch of times down the backstretch, um, sort of indicative of his uh, season so far, just not being able to finish out these races despite some speed. What do you think when you think of the expectation and the reality right now for Kyle Larson? Well, the reality is that he is not as bad as his point standing indicates. Uh, he ranks 11th in production and equal equipment rating, and that is tied with Eric Almarola. But he holds an average finish 4.1 positions worse than Almarola, and, and that's the equipment handicap in that uh, rating doing its job there. If you are the 11th most productive stock car driver in the world, we're talking about an uptown problem. If you're looking at that 11th place peer ranking and the 21st place point standing placement, there are some questions about how that chasm came to be. I know you had an opportunity to talk with him this week. Did he offer any insight off the top of his head? He is. I, I was. Uh, we were out at the Wells Fargo Championship. He is an avid golfer, and he was playing in the Pro-Am, and uh, you will see it on a Thursday's edition of Race Hub, or just check out my Twitter account. It'll be on there, but I ask him point blank, the same question we're talking about. It's a simple question. What's wrong? I say, Kyle, is there a simple answer? And he, he gets this big smile on his face, and he says, I, I want to say it's just luck. I mean, right? Uh, if we we have the top 10 speed, he said, and according to the central speed rankings, he's actually 12th on the year, so he's close. But he says, we just need some luck. Uh, they were had a tire issue after running well at Texas. Uh, they had a tire and pit issue, all sorts of issues at Bristol uh, with a pit penalty and a tire issue. And I think a, another tire issue at Richmond when he got together with Daniel Hemrick, another driver having a, a bad luck year so far. So from the 42's perspective, from Kyle Larson's perspective, he, he believes that it's just some luck that needs to turn around right now. And I can see why. I mean, they think... It, the optimism could still be there. You can point to his teammate in, in Kurt Busch, who's having a great year so far and performing in that Chip Ganassi racing equipment. So if you can look across the shop and see, hey, the potential is there. We just need to finish out these races. I, I can see why Kyle Larson isn't, uh, you know, shaking his fist at the sky quite yet in terms of the performance. He just needs the luck to be there. Maybe there will be some positive regression when it comes to Lady Luck. I don't know. But I can tell you the, the attitude is not one for uh, worrying at the moment. It's just a matter of getting some finishes for him. Yeah, and I have a, a tough time focusing on that on that word luck. Larson's car ranks 12th in central speed, as you mentioned, and it is the slower of the two Ganassi cars right now. Uh, the 12th place ranking is down from 7th last year, and between the decrease in speed and the new rules package that is not suiting his driving style, uh, and that is reflected in his negative pass efficiency after he led the Cup Series in pass efficiency last year, it's easy to suggest Larson is putting himself in a position where he's pressing a little bit too much. He is crashing 0.9 times per race, nearly once per race. That number is high and will almost certainly diminish 
as the season progresses, but high crash frequencies are nothing new for Larson. He's had one of the seven highest crash frequencies among full-time drivers in four of the last five seasons. This is just something his team has learned to work around. Uh, He actually tied Brian Scott for the highest frequency in 2016. So uh, this has been an ongoing problem that has not hindered his ability too, too much. But some of this harkens back to previous discussions you and I have had. Chip Ganassi Racing, in 19 years at the NASCAR Cup Series level, has never had sustained success. The organization's best years, and I, and I, I wrote these down, were 2002, 2010, and 2017. In the ensuing seasons, 2003, 2011, and 2018, all Ganassi teams went winless. The problems with Larson, as they are on the broader spectrum, predate and run deeper than the driver. I think they start at the top. Chip Ganassi has been a Cup Series owner for 19 years, and during that time, only amassed 11 wins. Larson has five of them. Ganassi has had ample opportunity to hit on the correct combination of driving talent, engineering talent, and leadership, and he simply hasn't. He's had good people work for him. He has a lot of smart people working for him right now. If I had to guess, they don't have the proper leadership in place. He is a decorated IndyCar owner, and good for him, but in NASCAR, he's been marginal at best. Chip Ganassi Racing presents itself as, I don't know, an elite organization, and it is a credit to them that they have fooled so many for so long, but the reality (laughs) of the situation the reality of the situation is that that this is a mid-pack program, kind of always has been, and they just have an ability to score good driving talent. And there is nothing that suggests their ceiling is any higher than that. And then furthermore, there's word on the street right now in Charlotte that this program is in a very difficult financial situation. That would make some sense considering they lost Target and DC Solar, major sponsors, in consecutive years. Uh, Target was the end of a good run. And to Chip Ganassi's credit, that was a fantastic, lengthy partnership uh, for which most NASCAR owners should strive. DC Solar, though, was raided by the feds, and Ganassi got in bed with them, either oblivious of the company's cooked books, which doesn't make the Ganassi brand trust look intelligent, or they knew what was going on, which now makes Ganassi look, at the very least, desperate and kind of immoral. But as this pertains to Larson, and I'm saying this knowing he's going to a track this weekend in Dover, where in theory he should be a threat for the win, but he's a driver who is talented enough to warrant a race car in which he doesn't have to strain or pull off magnificent showings just to run and finish in the top five. Top five finishes should come uh, spec with his car. Automatic and his talent should be the thing that turns these automatic top five finishes into victories. And from where I sit, based on the organization's history, 
I don't see this ever happening for him at Ganassi. He deserves a better brand of team and a sharp car owner, and hopefully this happens for him in NASCAR. But if he decides to bail and go race in the world of outlaws or make a full go of it in USAC, I don't think I can blame him if he did that, Alan. I mean, this is, I, I, I when, when we ask what's wrong, I think it's bigger than luck. I think it's bigger than a few cut tires or some poor outings. This has kind of been his entire career at the cup level. Kevin Harvick was uh, quick to, I don't know, quick to, that I shouldn't characterize it that way, but he made some comments saying, you know, about Kyle Larson and the season he was having and kind of turned it on the crew chief making some comments about Chad Johnston saying, I don't think he's the most positive guy in the world when you have a driver that is in a slump. I don't think it's going to come from his crew chief. I think Chad is a pretty low-key guy that kind of complains a fair amount. I think as you look at that, I don't know if it's going to come from his crew chief. Kyle Larson was asked about those comments uh, in Talladega last week and basically said he has full confidence in Chad Johnston. So, David, I will, again, taking a more micro look at at 2019, I know you look at crew chief stats and strategizing and with Kyle Larson not having the, the same rules package that's benefiting him, that has benefited him in the past. Do you uh, look at the crew chief at all in this situation where, where maybe it is some luck, but I know you like to evaluate driver and crew chief as well. The ability to be a rah-rah guy, that, that may not work for Larson. That might not matter, but if we're just looking at numbers, Chad Johnston who two years ago was my motorsports analytics pit strategist of the year has a 73% retention on green flag pit cycles this season with seven positions gained uh, on Larson's behalf. He's not letting him sink out there. And, and maybe, maybe some of the the cut tires are for, are from uh, aggressive pressures or camper, but I oh really? <laughs> it's just a that's a strange thing to pick on. Um, look, I mean, cr- when Mr. Harvick talks, people cr- listen. So. Okay, so so crew chiefs crew chiefs are responsible for the setup of the car, but their ability to conjure speed kind of coalesces with I don't know the the depth of the purse at, at their disposal. And again, this kind of aligns with with what I just talked about, this isn't a rich team. This is not a fully funded outfit. They're, they're kind of figuring out ways to just poke on through the season and compete at their highest possible level. But to put a lot of that on Chad Johnston is strange. I'll say that that's a strange thing for Kevin Harvick to say. Well, we shall see what happens with the 42 car in Dover, where he is uh, quite good. And look, this playoff system, all it takes is one uh, one win kind of erases all sorts of worry, even if uh, the issues are still there. But we will see what happens in Dover. But moving on to our next driver and asking uh, you know, the question, what's wrong? Uh, Matt Benedetto and the 95 team. David, this was a team that I uh, doled out high expectations to in one of our first episodes of positive regression this season we made predictions and one of my predictions was that the 95 team was going to finish in the top 20 in points and right now they are not running like a team that will finish the top 20 in points I believe they are uh, 25th right now sandwiched between two rookies Matt DiBenedetto is and 
look, they're coming in with a new manufacturer, a new JGR alliance. That's why I put a lot of expectations on them, and they are not delivering so far this season. What do you say? Are the expectations too high? I, I feel like maybe not yours. I think yours actually sounds pretty reasonable, but it's just something about the TRD branding and the alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing that the immediate thought by a lot of people, by a lot of fans, is that, oh, this is a de facto JGR car. And that's certainly not the case. I think between that uh, and Bob Levine's workings last year, he hired a, a named driver. He hired a, a good crew chief. He then fired that good crew chief. It was all a mess. But even that, coupled with the showing in the Daytona 500, I think expectations were raised too high and are unfair. Let's talk about what has happened from a speed standpoint. Last year, the 95 car ranked 28th in central speed. This year, it ranks 22nd. Now, furniture row racing went away, so that explains one spot, but LFR has legitimately moved past Richard Petty Motorsports, Front Row Motorsports, and JTG Racing. And that is a market improvement, likely stemming from the infusion of TRD Knowledge and Crew Chief Mike Wheeler. As for DeBenedetto, in the transaction analysis I wrote for motorsportsanalytics.com during the offseason, I called this an innocuous hire. It's fine. Was it the best move out there? Probably not. Would I rather have DeBenedetto than Casey Kane, who mentally checked out? Absolutely. But there was nothing in DeBenedetto's statistical profile that indicated a single strength. He was and is a minus passer. He came into the season with a question surrounding his restart ability at the front of the field, namely because he didn't have many cracks at that when he was driving the 32 car. He is, Alan, at the moment, a top five restarter in both the preferred and non-preferred grooves. His retention from the preferred groove is actually over 90%. Uh, I want to see a bigger sample, but to me, this is very encouraging. The results are the issue here. After Talladega, he ranks 31st in pier out of 34 drivers. Three teams that rank slower in central speed, the 13 of Ty Dillon and both JTG cars, have better finishing averages. His peer last season uh, clocked in at 0.528, and here he is after 10 races uh, with a negative peer. He was projected for a 0.689. I expect an uptick in his performance over the next 26 races. It may not be big, but it can get back to something looking like what we would expect. You might call this regression to the mean. You might call it positive regression, but the thought that this is a de facto fifth JGR car that's underperforming is wrong. I think some of the major expectations were a little bit unfair. The 95 team has improved with a driver who is well-liked, but unproven. I see a step in the right direction. And that's fair. And one thing we have to point out is, David, they are not taking advantage of the speed when they do have it. They are not getting the finishes. And what I'm talking about, obviously, is Daytona and Talladega. You do your central speed rankings. As you said, they are 22nd 
overall for the course of the season. If you ranked them out by plate, uh, the speed on plate tracks, central speed rankings on plate tracks, which you did on motorsportsanalytics.com, they are suddenly the sixth fastest team. And in those two races, they've had two big crashes, right? They have nothing to show for it in the two races where they had a ton of speed. And that has really hurt them in terms of points, in terms of obviously average finish, and really in terms of perception of where we think they are right now. And, you know, you get two top tens, maybe we're thinking differently of the 95 team. Is that fair? That's fair. And we have 26 races to go. I mean, eventually speed wins out. That is the single statistic that has the best correlation with finish. Eventually it will skew in their favor. So far it hasn't. And unfortunately that has muddied the narrative. I was very harsh in writing about this program, mainly the owner last year on motorsportsanalytics.com. So I'm happy to be the first to say that they're, they're actually heading in a very good direction. If they stay the course and I hope that they there is not any knee-jerk reaction to what could be perceived as underperforming. I, I hope DiBenedetto stays in the seat. I think he will. I hope Mike Wheeler uh, stays on the bed box. That might be a question. But if there isn't a knee-jerk reaction and they let things play out as they should and, and let their speed help dictate some of these results, eventually they'll fall in his favor. This is a long season. And 10 races... While we're over a quarter of the year, uh, so it, it's a big sample in theory, it's still not a lot of time. So I'd like to see the year play out and and make a more informed evaluation of, of what they've accomplished because so far, this is a pretty big stride. And I was over at that LFR shop uh, last week, and I talked with Matt Benedetto on the shop floor for Race Hub. And at the very least, I can tell you is that this is a team that, that's not broken. At least they don't feel it. He's, they're not down mentally. So when we started this uh, little conversation about maybe we put – maybe there was too many expectations on them hoisted by people like myself. Maybe they had more realistic expectations. Obviously, they want better over there, but I can tell you their, their spirit, the mentality, they're not broken. They know they have to improve, but – Again, they're not overly worried in terms of uh, what they're doing over there, making wrong decisions. They just they know they need to get better. So things are still good over there at the 95 team, I can report. Let's move over to uh, Xfinity Series. This one surprised me, David, because, you know, you like to plan out the show and the rundown. We, we go back and forth with the drivers you pick in terms of who's struggling and who's not. And you uh, wanted to look at Justin Allgaier. And at a quick glance, uh, you know, you look at it and you think, yeah, he's not struggling too bad. He's got three top fives, but then you take a, a closer look. And David, what I equated to is we've talked about Kevin Harvick, right, this year and sort of the standard that he has set, uh, com- you know, say compared to last year. And when Kevin Harvick hasn't won any races, we start asking, you know, what's wrong with Kevin Harvick? I think we can apply the same sort of standard to Justin Allgaier this year in terms of the standard that they set, the expectations that you have, and what, eight, nine races into the Xfinity Series season, not getting what they need or what they expect out of the seven team over at JRM. Allgaier's peer in 2018 was a career best 2.758. He ranked fourth overall, second with Kyle Larson and Kyle Busch omitted. And he was projected for an even better rating in 2019, 2.793, which uh, was the best projection among series regulars. So far, though, he ranks 15th with a 1.0 rating. Uh, How did this this happen? 
His surplus passing value, which was positive last year, is negative this year, and the difference is big. It results in a swing of 146 positions on the track. His adjusted surplus differential being plus 112 last year, it's minus 34 this year. Now, the team. His junior motorsports number seven team, led by crew chief Jason Burdett, ranks second in the series in central speed. That's, that is winnable speed, Alan. You, that is, the, the problem here is not surface level. You cannot make an excuse about the car. Allgaier has the highest crash frequency in the series right now, crashing 0.56 times per race. Similar to Kyle Larson, though, uh, this is also not a surprise. Allgaier's 0.48 frequency last year was the sixth highest in the series. And three of the drivers with worst frequencies uh, were Ty Majeski, Dylan Lupton, and Brandon mm. Hightower. And they do not have jobs this year after all the crashing they did last year. Uh, so that Allgaier uh, has filtered to the top of this list is not a shock. But the results are, I would say that positive regression is on the horizon for him. And it still probably is. It's It's thin at the top for Xfinity Series regulars. But... Those passing numbers need to be righted. He is not the prolific mover he was last year. Dover might be a good place to rectify some of these issues. Uh, there are no cup drivers in his way this weekend, and he's a former winner at Dover. But what is what is wrong is he's not moving through traffic like he did a year ago. Why is something I'd like to get to the bottom of. And maybe that's another uh, another case of just letting the season play out. And a few bad outings have really hindered his overall production this season. And it's a fair question when he is, has the second fastest car in terms of central speed. And you just mentioned how speed can correlate to finishes. And if you're not getting the finishes nor, nor the passing um, production that you need, it is a fair question to ask. And I mentioned the three top fives that he has. Well, he's balanced them out with three DNFs early on in the season. So that explains what's going on, or a little bit, at least it tells the story of uh, Justin Allgaier's early season and trying to answer the question, what's wrong? So uh, three drivers we picked out just uh, trying to figure out where their season is going. Well, uh, I guess we'll have to check in on them in a few weeks to see if they have turned around and see if we've answered that question, what's wrong, as we look toward Dover. And uh, time for our Dover preview. David, uh, first time going to this track this year, obviously the big concrete Monster Mile. They're going to have a big, cool trophy. I think it's gold, the Monster Mile uh, for the Cup guys. Mon Miles, the Monster Trophy. The, I think it's gold this week for its uh, what 50th anniversary. So a lot of drivers going to want that. What do you expect in terms of uh, how this race plays out in terms of you know restarts and how does it favor that the fastest cars is it one of those tracks? What are you looking at when you look at Dover? Well, I didn't know a gold trophy was at stake. That's that's I believe to so. me. <laughs> Man, that's really cool. What a cool trophy and what a what a what a weird, wonderful track this is. Um the outside will likely be the preferred groove on restarts, as it's been in each of the last four races there. But last fall's race proved a little more sporty on restarts than usual uh, with an 83% retention rate for the outside compared to 60% retention from the inside. It was kind of uh, the green lights were on for all of the good restarters. There's a lot of grip that day 
compared to the spring 2018 race where the inside retained just 29% of the time. I hope it skews in the direction of grip. I'll tell you this, Alan, we're going to learn a lot about Kevin Harvick this weekend because he excelled last year on Dover restarts. He held position on 13 out of 14 restart attempts across the two races there. So keep an eye out on the four car on the short runs. Pit strategy, pit under green at Dover only when necessary because there's a risk of going two laps down if your stop is anything but perfect. There won't be much of a fall off in lap times on old tires, but expect teams to need stops in order to keep up with a concrete surface that just changes so often. And what a surface this is. What a trek. All concrete everything. On the initial runs in practice at the beginning of the race with the track not, as they say, rubbered up, um, any loose condition will be magnified. And as rubber builds on the track, the grip will increase. During the race, pay close attention to how each driver drives immediately following a caution, because during those yellow flag laps, cold tires pick rubber off the track like a sticky trap, uh, and that will improve grip. And with more grip, uh, the tightness of the car will magnify, a loose car becomes neutral, and so on. Um, everything is to the extreme at Dover. And that's that's kind of why I enjoy it. Um, towards the end of the race, the track surface becomes difficult to manage for drivers and teams. And if you think about guys in previous years like Jimmy Johnson, Carl Edwards, and Tony Stewart, all with good records at the track, all of them came from dirt racing backgrounds that taught drivers how to hunt for suitable driving grooves. This race should lend itself to those with some groove creativity and good car control. So when I when I say Larson might be a threat to actually have a good day here, that would be why. And then the smart teams with all the resources, Alan, and last fall's race at Dover, uh, Stuart Haas Racing ranked first, second, third, and fourth in single race central speed. It was, uh, I mean, that and was how a, many wins did they get out of it? Yeah. <laughs> that was just what I was going to say. It was kind of a, a day <laughs> of like, who do, does anybody want to win this race kind of thing? Um, just a, a, a comical showing, but, uh, damn, if it wasn't interesting, what a, what a track. And just, I, I like seeing weird stuff like that happen. Yeah. And that's what I want to see. I, I like seeing that kind of stuff. David, I love the little nuggets you give out because even it helps me when watching the race, look for d little things, watch the race different. I know I always say that on the podcast, but I do, I watch this race differently. And it was great watching Talladega last week because someone tweeted me when Chris Buescher and Matt Benedetto wrecked. And they said, I think Chris Buescher was running right about 13th because they had listened to the podcast and said 13th was, you know, one of the worst positions to be in because that's the highest rec frequency. And uh, it turned out he was running about 10th, but I think De Benedetto was right around 13th or 14th. But it, I appreciate uh, the nuggets you give out because people, myself included, are watching these races differently. And when these things happen or uh, we can attribute them to what we learned on here. So I appreciate that, David. Oh, for sure. And, you know, this weekend is another one of those weekends where it's just they're, they're so much different just because of the surface. And I'll tell you what I want to see, because I don't I don't think that we celebrate track surfaces so much as we should. Um, I want the surface to play a big role in cycling. So much is made about the surface or what they call the road profile 
if you're a cycling nut, I enjoy uh, watching uh, watching the bikes. But the spring classics, most of which have sections on cobblestones, uh, just ended in the cycling world. And the riders that performed well there won't be favorites in the Tour de France. And the the separator is the surface. And it's a big separator in NASCAR, too. It's not discussed in the media all that much, but the track surface is important to race teams. That's going to be the the major concern heading into the weekend when they're getting on the planes and hopefully listening to our podcast on Thursday. Um, this is going to be the thing that's in the back of their mind. It's, it's important for the setup, and I'd like to see that brought to light this weekend. I want to see a team or a driver around the 50 to 70% mark of the race adjust to the track and the rubber buildup and thrive, whether it's Harvick or Larson or Kyle Busch or someone completely unexpected. I'd like to see this race won or a good result scored uh, as the result of some on-the-fly decision-making by a conscientious team in the second half of the race just by judging how the surface has, has become the way that it is. And maybe the team that does that will be a first-time winner this season because that, David, is what I want to see. Uh, I know oh. I've been harping on the Chevys uh, the last few times we've asked, what do you want to see out of this race? And, and it worked last week, right? I said, you know, let's get the Chevys in gear and let's bring some new players to the front of this field. Chase Elliott goes out there and wins. I, look, I, I like mixing it up. I like seeing new faces at the front and more competition in terms of going out there and being able to grab the trophies and the checkered flags. I just think back to Eric Almirola. Uh, probably should have won the fall race here last year in late crash. So, you know, he should certainly be a contender. Kevin Harvick hasn't won this year. Jimmy Johnson, who knows? Maybe someone like Will Byron comes out of nowhere. Alex Bowman. Um, I'm just throwing all sorts of names out there. But I would like, in terms of what I want to see, I would love to see a new winner this weekend. I think that's always fun and exciting. So that's what I will be uh, searching for. So I have a follow-up question there. There have been... Uh, let's see, uh, six winners in 10 races. Is that, why, why, why is that not suitable enough parody for you? Uh, that's a great question. It, I don't know. I I just want to see more. I I, want to see, is it parody? I guess am I looking, if I, if I want too many winners, am I looking for parody? I guess, I don't know, but I, I like seeing, I like seeing the front of the field crowded, right? Uh, Look, there were a few weeks there where it was Kyle Busch versus the field. It felt like Tiger back in the day. You know, are you going to bet on Tiger? Are you going to bet on the rest of the golf field? And then Tiger would go out there and win. That's what it felt like with Kyle Busch for a few weeks. And then it was Penske and JGR. And now you've got uh, Hendrick came in, and I don't know how much momentum plays into this sport, but maybe they're heading the right direction. Uh, Kyle Larson, Kyle Bo- or Kurt Busch haven't won yet. I just like more players at the front of the field. I know that doesn't make any sense maybe in, in the analytical or statistical or math world. You know, there's got to be a, a curve to all this stuff. And there's got to be the, the players and the, the non-players, if you will. But hey, a, a new winner each year is exciting to me. So that's what I want to see. Yeah, well, look, I asked the question. And that, <laughs> that was, that, that's, that's a fine enough answer. It doesn't have to be uh, analytical. And I think a lot of fans think the way that, that you do. I think if the method of winning changes, I, I don't hire with the same winner, if that makes any sense. If if I saw someone just stomping the field every week based solely on speed, I can understand the frustration with that. But if someone is just keeps finding new ways to claw to victory, I find that pretty compelling too. Um, but to each his own. And I do like those storylines. Not all of Kyle Bush's wins, obviously, this season have come from sheer domination. Sometimes they've just been... Uh 
damn near given to him by the other, by, by his opponents. And Kyle's going to go out there and when given a slight advantage at the end of the race, you know, he's going to take advantage of it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens in Dover. Uh, triple header out there. Don't forget the truck series finally back, David, after the month of April off, I will be out there. I'll be down there on pit road. The truck series is back. I'm looking forward to that. And then obviously Xfinity and cup all on the Fox family of networks this weekend. So, but don't forget what you're listening to positive regression. We are available on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. We've got all your favorite devices covered. If you like what you are hearing, and I know you do because you tweeted us, leave us a rating or a review that helps get this podcast, gain some positive uh, visibility. Your help in spreading the word is appreciated. If you have questions, like I said, Tweet them to us. Give us your observations. Let us know how you're watching the race. You can tweet us at posregpog, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D, posregpog. Uh, David, what are you working on? On motorsportsanalytics.com this week, I took a look at five pit strategists that I feel are noteworthy. And I'll give you a little preview. Last year, I really touted Johnny Klausmeyer. Uh, on Motorsports Analytics for his unorthodox pitting within the pit cycles. This year, something's changed. He has pitted with the flow of traffic 100% of the time, super conservative, and their results are worse for wear. So go to Motorsports Analytics and check that out because I, I had a lot to say on those. Yeah, and I noticed when David Smith says noteworthy, that doesn't always necessarily mean positive. So there's a lot of good information in there. That's what uh, I'll tease you with on there. Uh, I just posted uh, this week our first ride to work. David, that's a popular series we do on Race Hub, and we I did it with Ryan Priest. We had a nice, awesome drive from his home to JTG Jordy Racing. It's a real fun uh, piece. I learned a lot about him. Uh, we, we all know his story, but I never heard him uh, actually tell his story, if you know what I mean. You know, I was never able to ask him about the, the details behind the story and him taking out a loan, a personal loan of money on himself that he would have to pay back regardless of the success he had. And look what happened. He had a lot of success, and he is riding high in the Cup Series right now. So look for that on Twitter. That was fun. Uh, like I said, Kyle Larson will be on uh, Thursday's episode of Race Hub. We talked to him this week. Look for that as he looks toward Dover, trying to turn the season around, which we talked about on here. And make sure you watch the truck race. I'm glad it's back. And watch uh, watch everything on Fox this uh, weekend. It's going to be fun, David. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Yeah, should be good. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Thank you for listening. Stay positive, everybody. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.